Well, good evening, everyone. My Bible's open up to 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. And I will invite you to be finding 1 Samuel, chapter 18 in your Old Testament. We'll be bouncing back and forth between the Old and the New Testament this evening for the next few minutes as we work together in the Scriptures. 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter is going to be where we're going to start as we engage in a period of study at the close of what has been a rather unusual day today. Walk outside this afternoon and... Weird stuff started falling from the sky that I had not seen in a long time and it continued to keep coming down and that just made today seem really, really odd, but uh, it's very much appreciated. We're thankful to the Lord for the rain. He knows exactly what His earth needs and when the earth needs it and we're glad to be able to come together in the uh, nice dry building that we are to be able to focus uh, on His Word and on spiritual things for these next few minutes. I hope that you've had a good afternoon. We do find ourselves once again with a comparatively uh, small number compared to most normal Sunday nights, but it's not about the quantity of the people as much as it is about the quality of the people. And I think I'm talking right now to the uh, people of very high quality folks, people of high character and folks who are uh, very much devoted to serving the Lord. That's why you get out on a rainy night to come back to worship God. Read with me if you will in 1 Samuel the 18th chapter. This is verse number, well it says 7 there on the screen, but I actually want to go back to verse 6. 1 Samuel 18 verse 6. This is the fallout, the aftermath of David defeating Goliath. And so in the wake of those events, 1 Samuel 18 verse 6 says that as they were coming home, when David returned from striking, striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. This was their song. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This evening I want to talk about a very common yet a very difficult spiritual problem. And what makes this particular problem so difficult is that we often struggle to recognize this problem in ourselves. When a person is committing a sin like adultery, I'm pretty sure they know that that's wrong while they're doing it, before they do it, and after they do it. They know that that's wrong and they shouldn't be doing that. When someone is engaged in the act of theft, of stealing, once again, I think they know there is a conscious recognition that this is wrong. That's the reason I go about trying to be secretive about that and don't want people to know what I'm doing. I do realize that there are occasions when some people try to justify those kinds of behaviors. I committed adultery because my spouse wasn't treating me right and I felt justified in that. Or I stole from the company because I'm underpaid and once again I just felt justified by that. I realize that people do try that justification. But generally speaking, when people lie, when people cheat, when people steal, it is with a knowledge and an understanding that I should not be doing this, this is wrong, this is bad, this is sinful. But the spiritual problem that I want to address this evening isn't always like that. Because while this particular problem is easy to spot in someone else, it is incredibly difficult to see in ourselves. And the problem that I want to talk about tonight is the very problem that just ate Saul up here in 1 Samuel 18. I'm talking about the green-eyed monster 
known as envy and jealousy. Everybody could see that rearing its ugly head in Saul's life. From his son Jonathan, all the way down to probably the lowest of servants in the kingdom. Everybody knew what Saul's problem was except except Saul. Saul was completely blind to his envy and to his jealousy and it ended up eating him alive. And unfortunately, that still happens today. We see envy and jealousy rather easily in other people's lives. And we look at that and we lament it. And we shake our heads and we say, boy, that's awful. I just can't believe that they would act that way. But then when it comes to me, eh, there's not a whole lot of concern that I might possibly have a problem with that. You just stop and think about it. Has anyone, has a Christian ever come to you and said, brother, sister, would you please pray for me? And you say, absolutely, I'd be happy to pray for you. Well, what do you need me to pray for you about? And that person then says to you, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling mighty with jealousy. Has anybody ever asked you to pray for them for that particular problem? When's the last time you can remember somebody coming forward in the public assembly because they want to make an acknowledgement and they want to repent of the sin of envy? Has that ever happened before? The next time that I see it happen, it'll be the first. No one thinks that they have a problem with envy and jealousy. And why? Well, I think a big part of that is because we usually camouflage that under the cloak of our righteous indignation. We often talk about what's just and what's fair. When grandma's will is getting read and I didn't get what I wanted in the will, well, well, that's not right. Or at work, when someone who's in a parallel position to me, I find out that they've essentially, they're doing the same job that I am, but they're getting paid significantly more than I am. What do we say? We say, that's not fair. Or whenever my kid gets passed over by the coach for another player, what do we say? We say, my kid deserved that spot. And we can spin it. We can say it and try to turn it and twist it however we want. We can try to hide it under the guise of justice and equity. But in the end, we need to just call a spade a spade. We need to call this green-eyed monster what it really is. It's jealousy and it's envy and it is sinful. And it can indeed, it can destroy families It can destroy friendships. It can destroy the workplace. It can destroy churches. But worst of all, this evening, I want to suggest that it can destroy you. It can destroy you on an individual level the same way that it destroyed King Saul. Which is why this evening, I want us to try and figure out how we can slay that monster before it takes hold of our lives and brings us to ruin. I do believe that this particular subject, talking about jealousy and envy, is relevant to everybody of every age. There isn't a person in this room right now that this isn't going to hit in some form or another. And I very much appreciate my brother Gary over here. He's the one who actually recommended to me working up a lesson on jealousy and envy. And the reason I'm appreciative of that is because, in all candor, I had not previous to this given a whole lot of thought to what a problem this can be, and in fact, what I believe what a problem this was in my own life. And I hope that by the time we're done talking this evening, that you, just like I have, that you'll have a greater sense of awareness about that. And that we will all have some decisive measures that we will have put into place to root out or to prevent envy and jealousy from becoming a destructive force in our lives. 
I want to share with you tonight five helps right out of the Word of God for overcoming envy and jealousy. And that all needs to begin in maybe a kind of an obvious place, but I need to start here. It needs to begin with a firm recognition that what we're talking about is sin. As I said at the outset, we often recognize that this is a problem in other people's lives. But we must come to a recognition that this is a problem in our own lives and then be able to call it for what it truly is. That it's not merely some character defect. It's not just some kind of a personality flaw. It's not just my own little personal struggle. No, it is sin. Can I run a little bit of Bible? Let's stack some verses up. Let's start here in the Old Testament. Look in Proverbs 14. In Proverbs chapter 14... The wise man talks here about jealousy and envy, and he actually deals with it from the standpoint of it being bad for your health. How much thought have you given to the fact that jealousy and envy is bad for your health? Well, the wise man does. Proverbs 14, look at verse 30. He says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. One translation actually says, jealousy is like cancer in the bones. That gets my attention. You start talking about cancer, we're not talking about a trivial matter, are we? We're talking about a serious matter. And that's how serious the Proverbs writer is taking this. Jump to the New Testament. Look in the book of James, please. In James chapter 3, James indicates here that jealousy usually tends to serve as a spark plug For a host of other sins. In James chapter 3, I'm reading here in verse 16. In James 3 and in verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Look at that. Jealousy is just a breeding ground for evil of every kind, James says. And that really should come as no surprise to us. Because envy and jealousy is one of the very reasons that Jesus was crucified. Did you know that? Look in Mark the 15th chapter. The Bible says so. In Mark chapter 15, this is talking here about Pilate. As Pilate is about to turn Jesus over to this bloodthirsty mob. And so the text tells us in Mark 15, this is verse 10. Mark 15 verse 10. For he, that's Pilate, he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered Jesus up. Think about that. Anything, I'm going to suggest, anything that leads to the murder of the perfect Son of God, well, that can be described in only one way. Sin. In fact, we can know that envy and jealousy are sinful simply by the way that the Bible describes its counterpart, the way that the Bible describes love. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, in that beautiful passage about the, the character and the qualities and the characteristics of, of agape, agape love, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 4 that love does not envy. Envy and jealousy are the very antithesis of love. They are diametrically opposed to love. Now can I crank that up just one more notch? Look in Galatians 5 now. In Galatians 5, we have this list of what is to call the works of the flesh. That is, these are the attitudes and the behaviors that Paul sets in stark contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. 
And look at what makes the list of the works of the flesh. In Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How many of us actually stop and think about the fact that jealousy and envy are going to keep some people from going to heaven someday? That's pretty serious business, isn't it? In fact, since Galatians chapter 5 uses both of those two terms, jealousy and envy, separately, maybe right here would be a good place to do a little bit of definition sort of stuff. What's jealousy? We know what jealousy is. Jealousy is being upset that someone else has something that we do not have. Jealousy is about, I want what you have. Envy, though, is a slightly different take. In fact, it's a little bit more personal in its take. Envy is resentment and ill will, and bad feelings over what someone else has. And it's about how I wish that you didn't have those things. So jealousy is over here about wanting what you have, whereas envy wishes to deprive you of what you have. But I'm going to tell you this evening that regardless of which of those two camps you might fall into, Paul says they both lead out at the same place. Galatians 5.21 says that they lead to not inheriting the kingdom of God. It's, it's sin. Envy and jealousy, they come from a spirit of dissatisfaction and discontentment. Where we are comparing our lives to others around us. And in our pride, we tell ourselves, I deserve better. That is a bucket full of wrong thinking that leads to wrongdoing. It's just a wrong attitude all the way around. It is, it is sin. And if we do not stop minimizing this sin, if we do not stop justifying and excusing this sin, it could ultimately cost us an eternity with God. I'll say it once more. It is sin. And maybe the very best place in our lives to observe the sin of jealousy and envy is by paying careful attention to our speech. Would you look in Acts the 13th chapter? I want to build this second point out of this passage. In Acts 13, Paul is preaching in Antioch, and there's this big, huge crowd that comes out to hear this message. They had heard him do some preaching the week before, and they asked, hey, would you come back again and do this the next Sabbath day? So he does come back, and there's this gigantic throng of people there to hear him preach. But notice in verse 45 of Acts 13, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Do you see there how jealousy in the heart, it often then reveals itself in words, in the things that we say. These Jews started contradicting what Paul said. They started reviling him with their words. The jealousy that they had inside, it became very, very evident in their slanderous and insulting speech. And so that's why I'm going to suggest to us secondly this evening, that in order for us to overcome envy and jealousy in our lives, I'm going to suggest that we do a little bit of reverse engineering. That is, if we will do some work on our mouths then maybe that will go a long way toward fixing the problem that exists in our hearts. 
In Matthew 12 and in verse 34, Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, That's the order of things and that is absolutely so. But what if we took that truth and we worked backwards from it? What if we worked backwards so that we could get back to the root of the problem? What if we made a more deliberate effort to control our tongue as a means of trying to get a handle on the envy and the jealousy that is residing deep down in our hearts? For example, just think about some of the language that we use that I think betrays we have envy in our hearts. What about those yes but statements that we are so wont to just throw out there? Somebody maybe pays a compliment to a person that we are jealous of, and we say, yeah, they have a great house, but you don't know that they're up their eyeballs in debt trying to pay that off. They shouldn't have even bought that. They shouldn't have even tried to buy that. That's way beyond their means. Somebody says, oh, yeah, he looks a great Bible class teacher. Oh, yeah, he's a great Bible class teacher, but but he acts like he just knows everything. He acts like he wrote the Bible himself. Do you see there? There's that beginning, that yes, that kind of agreement. But then we kind of take that away with the but that then follows it. Those little barbs that follow, those little slights, you know what that is? That is a sign of a corrupt and jealous heart where we are assigning the worst motives to someone. We are overlooking the good that they are doing. Or we're overlooking the good that has befallen them and we want to instead magnify and focus on the bad. That is the product of envy and jealousy in the heart. Well, I'm going to ask again, what if we just kind of reverse engineered that? Could we help change our heart by changing our mouth? I think we can. What if we make a pact with our mouth that we're going to refuse to speak ill of others? What if we just eliminated entirely that yes, but kind of language from our talk? What if instead of of sliding and tearing down, what if we simply just agreed, somebody pays that compliment to the person with the nice house, and we say, yes, they do have a nice house, and I'm really happy that they have that nice house. Or when somebody talks about the Bible class teacher, a great Bible class teacher, yes, he is a great Bible class teacher, and I'm glad that he's on our team. Isn't that a more refreshing thing to hear coming out of somebody's mouth? In fact, here's an idea. What if we used our mouths... To pray for the person that we are jealous of. What if we maybe took that even another step further? Where we then look for opportunities to compliment that person. To praise that person. To say and do kind things for that person that we are jealous of. What if we changed how we talk? Is it possible that that could then filter down into our hearts and change how we feel and how we think? I think if we eliminated that vicious kind of talk from our vocabulary, it may go a long way in helping to eliminate the envy and the jealousy that eats us up from the inside. Which leads me then to this third idea for trying to slay that green-eyed monster. And that is, we probably need a reality check about some things. And the reality check that we need is that we need to accept the fact that life, life is just not always fair. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, please. In Ecclesiastes 9, here is a verse that sports fans probably have a hard time coming to grips with, but but we need to. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, look at verse 11. In Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11, Solomon says there again, 
I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Has your favorite team ever lost a game that they should have won? Kentucky football fans right now are thinking about a couple of games already this season. That that should have been the case. We should have won those things. We were better than that other team. We deserve to win that game. Solomon says the best team doesn't always win. The race is not always to the swiftest or the fastest. In fact, that's not just a thing in sports, but Solomon goes on to say that's just true in a lot of areas of life. In war, he says the victory of the battle, it doesn't always go to who is the mightiest and the strongest on the battlefield. In fact, there was a war back in 1776 between a ragtag group of colonists and they went up against a mighty army of British army forces And they proved Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 to be absolutely true. In fact, Solomon goes on to say that wealth and fame, that doesn't always go to whoever's the smartest or whoever's the the most ingenious inventor of things. No. He says time and chance happen to them all. And that's really Solomon's very kind way of saying, life's not always fair. It's not. And you're going to have to learn to just deal with it. We're going to have to learn to accept that. Now, even as I say that, it would be really easy for me to just get up and say, hey, quit being jealous because life's not fair and then just kind of move on. Well, can I break that out into a couple of directions? First of all, we need to remember that God never promises that life is always going to be fair. You know, I think a lot of our unhappies in life, whenever someone gets the slice of pie that we wanted for ourselves, I think a lot of that ultimately ends up boiling down to a blaming of God. You know, how come God let it work out like that? How come God didn't make things a little more equitable? You know, God's supposed to make sure that things in this life, things in the here and now, are just and right and fair and square. Well, well, where's that in the Bible? Where is that? Show me the verse. I suppose maybe it's right next to the verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. And the verse that says, cleanliness is next to godliness. Somewhere over in Second Americans chapter 4. In other words, it ain't in there. And I realize that it is our wish that that was in there. It is our wish that everything would be fair and square in the here and the now. And frankly, frankly, that is God's wish too. He does wish that. But in a broken and in a fallen world, things just aren't going to be fair all the time. Are you still there in Ecclesiastes? Just drop back to chapter 1. In chapter 1, Solomon says, there's just some things in our broken world that just ain't ever going to be fixed, at least not be fixed in this lifetime. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 15, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And so God never promised that life was going to be fair, that He was always going to straighten out every road, and you're always going to get everything that you ever wanted. But here's the second thing that we need to remember about that. Sometimes, sometimes we are actually the benefactor of having an unfair life. You want to talk about the sports analogy again? Has your team ever won a game that they didn't deserve to win? Has your team ever been on the receiving end of of maybe a bad call, but it happened to go your way? Maybe they were the beneficiaries of, of, of a fluke or a lucky play? Sometimes that happens. 
Sometimes time and chance, it does go our way. Sometimes life does treat us very well, way better than we even deserve. And we take those wins whenever we can get those wins. In fact, whenever we're grousing and complaining and looking at what everybody else has and I don't have those things and we're just all upset about how things aren't going our way, what we need to remember is that there are probably lots of other eyes that are looking at us and they're thinking about us, well, how come his life is so great? How come she has things going her way all the time? Why can't I have what they have? You know, do we have to go take a trip to a third world country somewhere to be reminded that there are probably lots of people in our world who are looking at us and they are envious and they are jealous of what they see that we have. When we feel like life's not fair, we need to remember that we all have received our fair share of the breaks. And I think accepting that reality, both the good and the bad aspects of that, I think that goes a long way toward curbing the damage that the green-eyed monster can do in our lives. This brings me into this fourth idea this evening, and that is we need to do some remembering. And we need to remember that that good fortune that others have that we're so jealous of, that good fortune isn't always as easy, and it isn't always as good as it seems. I want to illustrate that for you in Numbers, the 16th chapter. Would you find Numbers, chapter 16? This is the example of Korah and Dathan. In Numbers, chapter 16, these are a couple of guys, a couple of Israelites, who are just consumed and eat up with envy. And so they express their jealousy and their envy. In Numbers, chapter 16, look in verse 2. They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And look at what they said to them. They said, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you, Moses, why do you, Aaron, exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Can you hear and note the jealousy in their voices? Who made you a leader here, Moses? Hey, you know what? We think we could do just as good a job as you do at this whole leading the Israelites thing. We want to be priests. We want to be the leaders of the people here. In fact, when Moses attempts to have a civil discussion with these guys, drop down to verse 12. When Moses tries to talk to them, they said, verse 12, we will not come up. We're not going to come up there and talk to you. Is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? That you also must make yourself a prince over us? Moses, you just think you're so special. We could do your job. Any idiot could do your job. These guys had envy and they had jealousy over Moses' position of authority and leadership in Israel. And they wanted that for themselves. You want to know the truth? about Moses' job. We think of the guys being the leaders, getting all kinds of perks and privileges, and man, he's just treated so greatly. You know the truth about Moses' job as the leader? Drop back to chapter 11 of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 11, Moses is so discouraged and he is so distraught at the complaints and the grievances of these people. Notice what he says to God. Numbers 11 verse, uh, verse 11. Numbers 11 verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with me? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? 
Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? Come on, Lord, I didn't ask for this. Drop down to verse 14. He says, I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. Korah and Dathan and those guys over there, they envied Moses' job. Moses said, this job is literally killing me. And it's not quite all that it's cracked up to be. You know, lots of times we cast our eye over at somebody else and the things that they have or how good it seems that they've got it. And all we see is is the glory of it. We see the perks of it. We see the privileges that they have, the blessings of all of that. But what we don't see is we don't see what it's costing them to have all of that. We don't see how difficult it was for them to obtain those blessings. One fellow put it this way. He said, everybody wants what I have, but no one wants to do what I did to get it. Isn't that true? Isn't that true a lot of times? You know, I really envy that Olympic athlete. And I envy their gold medal and all the glory and prestige that comes with that. I really want me one of those gold medals. But you know, I don't want to get up at 4 a.m. and train and practice. I don't want to have to remain on a strict regimen and a strict diet. I'd probably have to give up Mountain Dew and I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to make any of the other sacrifices and to pay the high price that it goes for with getting that medal. I just want the medal... I want the medal without the work that it takes to get the medal. Isn't it true that most of the good things that people have, this is just generally speaking, most of the good things that people have in this life are the result of working hard and commitment and dedication in order to have those things. I think that's true just generally speaking. That's true of the advances that people make in their career as they move up in in their particular line of work. That's true of the skills and the talents and the abilities that people have. They've put in the work to develop and to hone those skills. That's true of the great family relationships that people have. And sometimes folks look at that and they're jealous of that and they're envious of that. I know of a woman who has an astonishingly close relationship with her children and with her grandchildren. And I am sure that there are lots of people who envy that and want that. But what they have not seen and what they do not see It's just how hard she has worked to grow that relationship and to develop that relationship over time. They don't see how many times she has put herself out and that she has been personally inconvenienced for the sake of her family. They don't see all that she has done to be a giver and not a taker. They don't see that she gave up doing what she wanted to do. How she gave up her time and her energy. Nobody sees all of the things that she did to bond herself to her family and to have that great relationship. All we see are the results of all of that hard work. And you know what? That's what we envy. We envy those results. We want the goodies. We want the goodies without the work to get them. I'll give you maybe just a good rule of thumb here. If something looks absolutely effortless and easy, chances are, chances are it's not. In reality, hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years of effort and discipline have went into creating that level of mastery. I'm reminded of the lady who said to the old preacher, Preacher, I would give my life to know the Bible like you do. And the man said, Madam... I have. And that, I think, is very much demonstrated of how we want those goodies, but we don't want to do the work in order to obtain them. 
And sometimes the reason that we are jealous and envious of the things that others have, of of people who are seemingly ahead of us in some part of life, is because we're not willing to give them the credit for all the things that they have done in order to achieve those things. Just ask yourself, are you envious and jealous of the work and the effort that went into getting those blessings? Or are you jealous and envious of the payoff of all of that? Which brings me to this fifth and final idea this evening for slaying the green-eyed monster. And that is, we need to just go back and retake control of what it is that we think about. When we're talking here about jealousy and envy, generally speaking, we're talking about something that is internal. It is something that has to do with our hearts, and the Bible heart, of course, is it's right here. It has to do with what we dwell on and what we think about. I am told that the word envy, it comes from a Latin word, two Latin words, the word in, and then the word video. In video. And you might be thinking there, okay, uh, I think maybe I know where that's going, but actually it's not necessarily the way that you think it might be going. It's not talking there about how jealousy comes from watching too many videos, watching too much television, watching too many movies, and all the people on television who have so much money and they have so many things, and we become jealous of them, that... That can happen, but that's not really where that word comes from. The idea of in video in the Latin is the idea of looking against. That is to look with ill will. And what that causes me to realize, as I just think about the definition and the origins of that word, is that everybody, everybody looks. Everybody sees. But not everybody sees with envy. Not everybody looks against at the things that others have. What we have to do is we have to take charge of ourselves. We have to take charge of our thoughts, the things that we dwell upon, and we need to put the emphasis where the Bible puts the emphasis. We have to decide that I can actually choose what I think about. I can choose what I put into my mind and dwell upon. Can I show you that? Let's just rip three verses here really quick. Look in Romans 12, please. In Romans 12, I want you to watch just how often the Bible says, even without even saying it specifically, that we can take charge of what we think about and what we allow to enter into our minds and what we focus on. In Romans chapter 12, this is verse 3. Paul says here in Romans 12, 3, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you see that there? Paul says, here's some things you should not be thinking about, and here's some stuff that you should be thinking about. He's saying you can do that. Look in Colossians now, in Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, Paul says here, that instead of looking around at at everybody else, and everybody else's stuff, and instead of looking at all the things that I don't have, and how unfair life is, how about instead, Colossians 3 verse 2, how about you set your mind on things that are above? not on things that are on the earth. Is the stuff that I am jealous about in this life, is any of that really going to matter in heaven? I think not. Paul says if you'll start thinking heavenward thoughts, think about heaven, how great heaven's going to be, then a lot of those thoughts that are envious in nature, those things will start to dry up pretty quickly. One more in Philippians 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Notice the emphasis once again on taking control of our thought life. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, think about the things that are going to make you better. Think about the things that are going to make you grow in Christ Jesus. Don't think about the things that are going to pull and tear you down spiritually. What are you thinking about? What is your mind fixated on? You get to choose what you put in there. And maybe that is the reason that oftentimes we are so blind to our own envy and our own jealousy. is because we just don't want to admit that we are focusing our minds on the things that they should not be on. That we're not truly setting our minds on the things that are above. Instead, what we want to do is we want to tell ourselves that the things that I dwell on, well, it's just what naturally comes to me. I just can't help it. Those jealous thoughts enter my mind and they just stay there and they just, they just kind of take me over and I can't do anything about it. That's a lie. God's Word says that's not so. The Lord says we can and we must think differently. We can control our thoughts. Somebody once put it this way. They said envy and jealousy come when you count someone else's blessings instead of your own. That's exactly right. I can either look against, that's that in video, I can look against the things that others have and be envious of that. Or I can look instead at the blessings that I do have. And I can be grateful for that. But at the end of the day, make no mistake, it is my choice. And whichever I decide, is either going to make that green-eyed monster stronger in my life, or it's going to make the monster weaker. But once again, it's up to me. It is an enormous challenge to overcome envy and jealousy. Because again, when we're working on something that is on the inside, man, I find that that is so much harder than trying to work on the outside actions that maybe need to stop or need to be corrected. Working on the man who's inside of me, mm, that's a tough task. And in fact, it was a task that King Saul was not willing to rise to the challenge of. It destroyed Saul. He could not see how obsessed and how consumed he was with David. And that very same thing can destroy us too if we allow it. In ancient Greece, the story is told that the citizens of Thasos, they set up a memorial statue in honor of one of their most celebrated athletes who had been victorious in the Olympic Games. His rival, though, was so angry, so upset about that, that every single night he would go down into the town, into the middle of the square where the, where the statue had been set up, and he would make his efforts to topple and to tear that statue down. Could not stand the sight of that statue. And so in the dark of night, he'd go every night, try to yank that thing, push that thing, and heave it and shove it until eventually, eventually one night he succeeded. He was able to lift that statue and shake it off of its pedestal. And he began to carry it and to hoist it, and then, and then he became overtaken by the weight of that statue, and he was crushed under it. His obsession. His envy, his jealousy of his rival, it literally destroyed him. And yet, think about it, it didn't make his rival any less successful, did it? We need to be reminded that the evil, the sin of jealousy and envy, it causes great damage. 
It hurts God. That's who we're sinning against in every sin. It hurts our family. It hurts our friends. It hurts our co-workers. It can hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in the end, who does it hurt the very most? It hurts ourselves. And it will crush you if you don't first slay that monster. I hope the thoughts this evening will be helpful to you as we try to get a rein on that in our lives. As we extend the invitation of the Lord, let me tell you about a different flavor of this idea of jealousy. Because the Bible does use the word jealousy in another sense, in fact, in a positive sense. When the Bible speaks about how our God is a jealous God. And our God is jealous for us. He is jealous for our hearts. He wants our hearts. He wants our attention. He wants that devotion to be given completely and undividedly to Him. Are we willing to give Him that? Have we given Him that? If you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, if you have not yet responded to the call of the gospel in obedience by putting your faith and trust in Jesus, confessing Him before others, repenting and turning from sin, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins... You can do that. You can be forgiven. You can become a Christian. You can be added to the Lord's church. You can begin serving Him faithfully, and you can. You can begin giving the Lord everything that you have. And His jealousy will be a good thing in your life. It will motivate you to want to be with Him and to be with Him in heaven for all of eternity. And if we can help you to become a Christian tonight, we stand ready to do just that. If you are a Christian but you've not been living faithfully, you need to know that when the Lord sees you living in sin, doing things that displease Him... That jealousy, it burns, and it burns viciously. His desire is for you to return to Him, to come back. Do that this evening, brother or sister. Repent. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you and help you in whatever way that we can so that all of us can faithfully serve the Lord and give Him the service of our lives. Whatever your need may be this evening, the invitation is open for all. Take advantage of it right now while we stand and while we sing.